I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. Yeah. Me. <laughs> that is an anthem for, oh, for this group. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So good. All right. Here we are. Episode 173. 173. So I was kind of projecting things out. And it looks like this year we will definitely hit episode 200. Oh, we will. Easily. Yeah. That's only, what, 27 episodes away. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. we'll hit episode two hundred and somewhere around Thanksgiving, then, right? Probably right around there. Okay. If All not, right. if not before, and we will eclipse easily eclipse one hundred fifty thousand downloads. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll hit that by uh, yeah. Labor Day. I think yeah, yeah, pretty close at the rate we're going. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it is a it is a hectic time of year for me because Megan and I our birthdays are like a week apart. Yours was last week, right? Mine was last week. Hers is yesterday. Okay. Of course, you got Mother's Day coming up. So it is an absolute freaking nightmare trying to get everybody together, like to celebrate birthdays and then Mother's Day and everything like that. I know first world problems. Really is. But it's uh, it's just a crazy Your time family there. that is within a few hours of you all needs to get, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you just need to get all those people together. I know. I know. Yeah. Most people are like, that's not a problem. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I haven't seen my brother, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but other than that, I am so. Uh, what are the big plans then? Uh, do, um, do you have a barbecue planned, <laughs> no, or are you well, guys going to do a family Zoom call or something? When or? you have two daughters in their twenties that also have lives of their own, um, it is impossible to agree on a date or a time or a place to meet. So, it appears right now that everything is going to get celebrated this coming Sunday on Mother's Day. Okay, at our house. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Having the old family. You bring your mom down, too? The whole fam, damnly, or whatever they say, damn family. <laughs> the whole damn family. All, yeah, all coming to uh, Kent's house on Sunday. Okay, nice. It'll, it'll be interesting, for sure. And other than that, I am super excited. I leave at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning to go to- Oh, uh, yeah. Um, where am I going? Quebec. Man. Yep, yep, for sure. And to go to the uh, Canadian National Surveyors Conference. Really looking forward to meeting uh, a ton of, you know, really great people from all over the world. I'm- um, I am uh, moderating a panel discussion of, gosh, I think ten or twelve uh, surveyors from all over the, all over the world. A couple what's of them the, have uh, actually been guests. What's the topic of the uh, discussion? The state of the profession. <laughs> the same thing we talk about you know, all the time. So it's just <laughs> never heard be, that one. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a pretty easy conversation for me to have. Um, but you know, it'll be cool to have it at uh, international level. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Something tells me that. The same problems that we are experiencing here mm. will be the same problems that uh, our friends to the north are also experiencing. 100%. Not just from the north, from the east, from the west, from the south, from everywhere. We sent out a, uh, a questionnaire to all the people on the uh, on the panel. You know, like five issues, five promising things type thing. And it was amazing how on the issue side, pretty much everybody three of the five match type thing, you know, and same thing on the, uh, on the positive side. So it's going to be a good conversation and just looking forward to getting the different perspectives for sure. Uh, just so you know, in case it comes up, Canada is still holding strong as the number two country of where our audience comes from. Well, we're going to boost that for sure. Oh, without a doubt. For sure. I'm also going to be doing some, uh, some interviews while I'm there, of course. So oh, nice. stay tuned for, uh, for that content should be pretty cool yeah. and insightful. As I mentioned, uh, how about you, Sean? What's new? 
Oh, there's a lot happening at the old uh, Faber household. <laughs> yes, there is. Doing some reconstruction, uh, kindergarten graduations coming up. Oh, you know, big time. Uh, business is also crazy busy and uh, just a lot of things going on. All, all for the good. All for the good. Yep. Big graduation yep. party. Uh, well, uh, there's a series of, we're still in birthday season and, and, uh, mm. kindergartners. So, gotcha. uh, there is a birthday this upcoming week and then the following week. And I think the second birthday party is a combination graduation party. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so set the bar low for the graduation party because everything is going to be compared to this. So every time there's a graduation, you're going to have to up your game. Yeah, I'm usually one to uh, lower expectations before raising them, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, work, we'll work off of that low bar. <laughs> You'll be just fine then. All right, tell us about the opening number. Uh, a song called All My Favorite Songs. Group named AJR is an American indie pop band consisting of three brothers, Adam, Jack, and Ryan. AJR. That's Burger is where, where the name came from. Yep. Uh, the band formed in 2005 and gained popularity with their hit single, I'm Ready, in 2013. They have since released multiple albums and have become known for their unique sound, which blends electronic and pop elements with brass and other instruments. AJR has been praised for their catchy melodies, thoughtful lyrics, and hmm. innovative use of technology in their music. And having listened to probably a couple dozen AJR songs today to pick one out, yeah. um, definitely catchy. That's a great way to describe their music. Uh, you know, some people call that poppy, but when it's mm. when it's more of an indie poppy, I I, I kind of like you know, catchy is just just fine with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You it's know, good once something you know, you get out of the car, you're still singing it. Mm. I mean, that's always it, it stays with you in a good way. I would say. Yeah, we do have to mention that song in particular uh, was co-produced with a uh, uh, one of my favorite bands, Weezer. Yeah, you got to admit these guys have to be Weezer influenced. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. You, you hear it, and obviously, you know, they've had some collaboration. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we are, of course, in the shiny new Diamondback Land Surveying still shiny Studio. And new. It's got that new studio smell still. Yep, yep. I got to tell you a funny story. Last episode, let's see, not the last episode, the one with, uh, this is actually our third episode here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tim and Will. Yep, Tim and Will. Yep. Um, so Tim's girlfriend was listening to that episode, and she goes, she goes, first of all, it was funny as shit. And she goes, <laughs> did I hear somebody throw a cup or something in the middle of the episode? <laughs> well, I, I felt it was like, you know, you know, with the, the initiation thing, or like, you know, you, you drink the shot in mm. Russia, and you throw the shot glass yeah. down, or you drink the champagne bottle and break it over uh, the yeah. the boat. Like, it felt like it was a rechristening. That kind of the, moment. The new studio, yep. and I was the only one that did it. No so one I thought that was freaking hilarious that she heard that. <laughs> so good. Uh, one thing I do going to mention, I just saw Mr. Trunkeen and posted something on LinkedIn today that he is the new um, president of West Coast Get Kids Into Survey. Oh, yeah. So I remember we were talking to him about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, he was, and He mentioned it was coming. And pr I, I guess my understanding is uh, we need to get Elaine Ball on to... Bring us updated or get us updated on all these well, different things. It's been a while since we've seen, seen Elaine. So. For sure, for sure. But so I think she, my understanding is that they're franchising and Trent is the owner, for lack of better 
words of the West Coast franchise of Get Kids Into Survey. Okay. Pretty exciting. Um, so I'm really excited to see where this is going to go. Well, and uh, if there's any other interest in uh, future franchise opportunities with mm. Get Kids Into Survey, Trent, yep. Trent will be the guy to contact. 100%. 100%. So kudos to Trent. Um, time for the Airworks somewhat random trivia. I know you've been running around like a maniac. Producer I have. Sean. Did I you am. happen to come up with something today? I did, actually. Oh, my goodness. And you uh, mentioned it earlier. Uh-oh. There's some little trivia nuggets about Mother's Day. Oh, good stuff. Uh, more calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year, and it's also the busiest day for restaurants. Mm, makes sense. Uh, after Christmas and Hanukkah, more people buy flowers and plants for their moms on Mother's Day than any mm. other holiday. Kind sure. of would expect that. Uh, the Greeks would, would have sp- spring celebrations in honor of Re, R-H-E-A, the goddess of fertility, motherhood, and generation. That's er, way, way, way. They used to have a type Mother's Day uh, celebration. But it really started during uh, and following the Civil War. Uh, a, a lovely lady named Ann Jarvis made a concerted effort to foster relationships and community between the mothers on both sides of the war. Mm. She started a committee in 1868, which... W- which established the first glimmer of today's holiday as the Mother's, the Mother's Friendship Day. And then her daughter, Anna Reeves Jarvis, sought to honor her mother by establishing an intimate day of observance that is very obviously the basis of today's holiday. Mm. The very first Mother Day, Mother's Day was celebrated in, guess what year? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. 1908. Oh. And Woodrow Wilson, your second favorite oh, president, yeah. signed Mother's oh, Day into law in 1914. 1914. Uh, a few last ones. Uh, this is kind of interesting. According to a 2022 report, the average age for a first-time mother in, in the United States hit 30 for the first time. Is that going up or coming down? Going up. First time it got to 30. Interesting. Yes. And the average American buys 2.8 Mother's Day cards. So obviously Mother's sense. Day is not just about... Your mom, but yep. grandmother, wife, etc. There's a lot of moms. And if you only bought one Mother's Day card, you may. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to admit, I, I don't know if my mom listens. I know my dad does. But I bought two Mother's Day cards, and I should have bought three. <laughs> okay. Just just saying. I have a daughter, so yeah. you, you can go from there. I'm I, with you. I'm yeah. with you. And your wife has a mother. Currently, a gr- one grandmother is uh, uh, short, so I'm gonna gonna yeah. fix that tomorrow. Well, thank God for the Jarvises. Oh, and absolutely. Thank God for moms. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah, can't, you can't say enough. All the crap that they deal with I, and put up with for us knuckleheads to get together like this yes. really goes unsaid. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Good stuff. Thanks for that, Sean. Uh, next up, we have the Advanced Geodetic Surveys Weekly Words of Wisdom. We're going to be talking um, a fair amount tonight about um, the importance of, of having a good team and teamwork and that type thing. So I thought that this was an appropriate uh, quote. It goes like this. Teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision. The ability to direct individual accomplishments towards organizational objectives. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Ah, I like that. Andrew Carnegie. Oh, yeah, he knew a little bit about putting Mm. teams together. He does indeed. He does indeed. I thought that was very appropriate for this evening. Speaking of this evening, let's bring in our guest, presented this week by XYHT Magazine. And again, if you're not getting your free subscription to XYHT Magazine, you're absolutely missing out. Just simply go to XYHT.com forward slash 
subscription, I think, something like that. Just Google it. You'll find it. Yeah, but it is yeah. a free subscription. You can get the digital version, which I get, the print version, which I don't know if anybody gets anymore. Uh, they Remember we asked. They, they do have a decent amount of print versions still, still yeah. popping out there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah for sure. Um, so take 30 seconds and um, and get your free subscription to XYHT. Mm-hmm. With that, we have uh, Drew Marin with us this evening. Drew, uh, I'm going to do a quick bio introduction, and then we'll loop you in here. So Drew was born and raised in Queens, New York. He attended... Towson University. Go. The Fighting Salukis. Ah, go Tigers. <laughs> oh, man, that was too easy. His hobbies include spending time with his kids. He's recently uh, picked up tennis again and sports card collecting. Really? You have to ask I him want, about yeah, that yeah, a little bit. I'd love to know about that. He is the senior account manager for the Northeastern and Mid-Atlantic portion of the U.S. for NV5, mm-hmm. who we have heard a lot about recently. Make, making moves. Making moves. And he is passionate about being a team player and collaborating to support complex projects. Wow. Drew, welcome to the Geoholics. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. quite the introduction. Well, <laughs> well it's all only, our introductions are only as good as the information that our guest provides us. True. <laughs> yes. But I'll give myself a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah, very well done. Absolutely. So before we get into this, we have to do the Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. And here's our guest, or our, our guest, our question this week. What's one thing that you've always wanted to try but haven't had a chance to yet? Well, a professional one always comes to mind is that we have a fleet of airplanes um, Mm. around the country. And uh, because of liability and the size of the aircraft and uh, several other factors in location, I have never been in one of our airplanes while we are doing acquisition. Um, I've always wanted that. I've only had one time where I've had a freelance photographer get on a plane i was able to get it approved um any other time i've been rejected in terms of getting on myself i don't ask anymore because it's not it's not necessarily worth it (laughs) but that one always pops into mind uh uh, on that one but i'm going to throw one on you guys i am going to change your random trivia Uh uh (laughs) geospatial trivia and since you're i'm full of useless information um and i I, there's always a good one for uh for uh, for Canada, since you're going there uh, tomorrow, are, do you know that 80% of the population of Canada lives within 100 kilometers of the U.S. border? Wow. You know what I thought you were going to say? 100 kilometers of a curling club. <laughs> <laughs> probably true, too. That's probably true, too. I did not know that. I, well, I wow. mean, I'm, I'm, I mean sure, I'm sure the statistic has varied a little bit in the last sure. couple of years, but it's it's pretty spot on uh, you know. yeah so, and all the all the big cities are close to the border yeah, right more or less edmonton's or up less. there a bit um but yeah i mean once you get much further north than that i mean who wants to live there you <laughs> know well, that too, 20 percent of yeah, a very of a, large population. of a large population does <laughs> which you've immediately offended so the ones sorry that, for that uh yeah the ones that don't want to ever be found again <laughs> right <laughs> live off the grid how about you sean what's one thing you've always wanted to try but maybe haven't yet uh well I can't I gotta tell you Drew I thought he was gonna steal my thunder here because the first I I read this just now and the first thing I thought of was skydiving yeah I've always wanted yep. to go skydiving <laughs> yep. it's right up my alley yep. love to do it and never have had the opportunity 
So I, I'm with you on that one. I've never tried it. I used to do think you, it's something you, I wanted to do, but I don't think so anymore. No? No. Why not? As I've gotten older, it's just, I don't know what it is. And I've talked to other people that feel the same way. As I've gotten older, like I am so petrified of heights. Like I can't get four steps up on a ladder. Yeah. I, my, my, like literally my knees start shaking. I, I will I will admit I've started to get a little, sh- not, not four steps on a ladder, but a little shakier than, you know, when I was a kid, it was, sure. you know. In, invincible. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I don't put skydiving in the same category as I can see that. fear of heights. Because, yeah. I mean, when you're 30,000 feet, I mean, yeah. your fear of falling is, I mean, I, I can't believe it's part of the equation when you're sitting there strapped in and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, I guess, how about this then? I am, I'm a control freak. <laughs> and when I'm jumping out of an airplane, I feel like I don't have a whole lot of control. Well, that's kind of, you know, what's the next big birthday milestone for you? 80? Uh, 70? 60. Okay. Right. 60 we'll would go be the with, next big one. We'll go with 60 then. Yeah. Is I think you should strap yourself in and, and go skydiving. Only if you do. I'll do. I, I will guarantee you if you do it on your 60th, I will be right there with you. All right. We're going to do it. All right. It's uh, it's written in stone. Uh, what about you? What is one thing that uh, you've always wanted to try but haven't had a chance to? Okay. So this isn't something I've always wanted to try, but it's something that I've thought about recently that I would love to try. And you know, I mean, I'd love to push myself outside of my comfort zone. and But not but not skydiving. But no, 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 no. <laughs> outside of my comfort zone that I can control. Okay. <laughs> That's a very odd <laughs> definition of a comfort zone, but for sure, go ahead. Yeah, so something I think I would love to try, and I'm not like that funny of a person, but I would love to try, because I know I'd be scared shitless, stand-up comedy. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I and I am going to see Michael Thompson tomorrow, as a matter of fact, at the Canadian National Surveyors Council. Oh, that's he's right. He's the one that yeah. introduced us. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a amateur stand-up comedian. Yeah. So yeah. that's what came to mind when I thought about that. Because he's, you know, he he does it. And, you know, we talked about doing a comedy show here in Arizona. Yeah. Geoholics, comedy extravaganza, whatever. And he's like... He's like, he's like, you got it. We'll do it, but you got to get up there on stage and do five minutes of comedy. I'm like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, I mean, have you even thought about what it would look like to? Oh, we can we can talk about it more later. Mm. We got we got loop, loop Drew in. Let's do it. Yeah, let's let's find out more about Drew. How about that? <laughs> so, Drew, you mentioned in your bio that you originally were pursuing a degree in economics, but you apparently took a geography class. In your words, where you were hooked. Talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. I, um... So I went to school uh, at Towson University, by the way, shout out to uh, Chuck from uh, X- uh, XYHT. He's a Towson alum as well. Oh, wow. Um, oh, look at that. Um, and I uh, I took a couple classes in economics um, the first year and didn't enjoy it at all. Um, and uh, then the next semester, I took a, uh, a geography class and I've always had a good sense of direction. And um, <laughs> I did well in it. And um, I like traveling and uh, visiting places. So I figured uh, it was interesting enough for me and I stayed with it. Um, and then my senior year, I uh, took an internship with the uh, Baltimore County government. I got paid six credits and I got an hourly rate. I thought it was like the best thing ever. I'm like, I could do this for, I could do this for a while. And so <laughs> Uh, ever since my senior year, I've been doing uh, GIS work or geospatial yes. work. Yeah, we should mention that you're also a uh, GISP or GIS professional, correct? I am. I uh, when when the I uh, worked with a couple of, uh, of people that uh, started it or or maintain it, um, and so when that came up and the, that uh, 
designation, I jump at the chance and I go to a lot of conferences. I, I do a lot of presentations. Nice. And so when I mentioned that you get like 10 points for one and you need like what, 95, I was like, I can do that in a year. So I figured like, <laughs> I, at least I can get that title pretty easily. Right. I don't know about the written exam anymore. I'm just uh, grandfathered in, but um, yeah. I, I enjoy signing up. I just renewed it for the third time. Oh, very cool. Very cool. How long is that? Like, do you know, I, I mean, we, how long has that uh, certification been around? It's not a, it's not that long, right? I mean, it's a fairly new as I far as certification goes. I, I believe it's a, what is it? A four year um, term. Okay. So if I'm on my fourth, so it's got to be eight to 10 years old. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Um, the sports card collecting. Gotta ask. That's awesome. That's should, awesome. Should we all be going back to speaking of Mother's Day, going back to Mob's house and raiding the box of, of baseball cards <laughs> we have in the attic and seeing what's there? I think the there's market's lot, up. There's a lot. There's a lot has changed. I, I started when the, during the pandemic. Is that? Oh wow, that's what I heard. Was, home and yeah. you, the mail still came in, so my kids are still young, and so uh, my daughter plays soccer, so I got. Uh, you know, uh, women's national soccer team cards, mm. and then uh, my son like Pokemon, so I got Pokemon cards, and I yep. try to introduce them to basketball and football and baseball cards. So um, it, it was kind of fun to just open packs again. And um, I think the biggest difference from when we were kids and even the generation before that yeah. is that now everybody wants that perfect card, mm. so perfectly centered, no corners, and yep. all that stuff. So, the number if the your 10 cards are in a shoebox. Mm-hmm. Likely they're not worth anything, but if you took good care of them, yep. they, you uh, there's, them. yeah, there's a few, you know, I think I still got lying around, but yep. that's what I was curious on is, is it more of the market of the old stuff or there's still a lot of new production that there, that people are still interested in and jumping on. Yeah. Good new stuff. Uh, well, uh, old stuff that's in good condition is still very de- desirable. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. What, and what I've seen, I, I think there's probably a lot more card manufacturers these days. And what I've exactly. seen is they all got acquired. So now it's oh, all really? one company. Oh, gosh. I had no idea. But they, yeah, it's, all, it's all owned by Fanatics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's the same, wow. the, the, the apparel guys, too, right? Yep. They, 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 yeah. Oh, my gosh. They got a monopoly on this stuff, huh? They, they, they do. Uh, it's, I mean, I understand it's become like a streamlined business and they're trying to like mm-hmm. combine not only sports cards, but NFTs and crypto and all that stuff combined together to get, Jeez. you know, people Crazy. close to their favorite athletes. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. I, I, what I've, what I've heard is they, they're coming out with like these, you know, one of 20 cards now that have, yeah. you know, a sliver of LeBron James Jersey in yeah. it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super the tangible thing. It's like hitting that, a lottery. Yeah. yeah right. Golden yeah. ticket type stuff. So what's yeah. your, uh, like, what's your most coveted card that you have currently? Well, when, when I first started with the pandemic, I, it was 2020. So I collected a lot of 2020 cards mm. and, uh, like what you're talking about, they had variations. So they mm-hmm. had like one of ones to one of 400. Sure. Well, I tried to get one of the same card. And so since I'm from Queens, mm. I collected Pete Alonzo. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yep. And yep. so I have I have every variation of his card from 2020. It's That's like awesome. 17 cards of the same card, but different variations. So I have the one of oh, one wow. to the one of 499. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. I've got a, uh, cause I used to be into it like 20 years ago. Um, and wait, PGA had a wait, card. That's when so. you were still an adult. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Just well, I mean, when I was a kid okay. too, but those okay. are, those are long gone. Um, but I have a Payne Stewart card. 
That ah, I Isn't can that see cool? that. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. So I don't know if it means anything to anybody, if it has any value, but I put it in a you know, clear plastic hard caves or whatever and that type of thing. But I thought that was one that was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I've gone back and looked through and checked, and, you know, there's a couple Michael Jordan cards in there that are there still go. worth a couple bucks, but yeah. it's not yeah. like they got good corners or, I mean, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I was still trading them in school and then eventually yeah. put them in the little yeah. plastic case and then be sitting in the garage ever since. Right, but. right. Yeah, okay, let's let's get into the meat of this here just a little bit. So, first of all, I mean, you know, per your uh, your bio information, you know, you're super passionate about teamwork and, and what it takes to, you know, be collaborative and, and bring people together. How does how does that passion fit in with uh, your role at NV5? Sure. So, we're the uh, we're the fifth vertical of NV5, so we're yeah. NV5 geospatial. Not to correct you, it just uh, uh, we try to, that's a recent designation. So I try to uh, plug that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a fairly large sales team or business development team. Um, and they're broken up by um, more or less three main areas, the federal government, state, local government with the architectural and engineering firm that works for the state governments. And then the catch-all could be called commercial utility energy, um, those types of clients. And um, we have a sales team in each of those, but within that, we all have similar type of software that we use. So um, with the recent acquisition of um, Axum um, uh, Geospatial, which is formerly GISP and Continental Mapping, they're uh, an Esri Platinum sponsor on the uh, consulting side. And, and and so trying to leverage all those, it's not something that our firm is normally uh, used to mining work that way. And so leveraging the, the relationships that people have with other people and other partners is just intriguing to me. I mean, I grew up in a big city and I like talking to people and, you know, unfortunately I don't know everybody and I don't plan on knowing everybody. Um, but, um, if we have 50 people and they all have, they all know 50 people, you can tend to put a, together a pretty interesting team with an interesting solution pertaining to it. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And so help us understand more about NV5. I mean, talk about NV5 and you said, you know, you're part of NV5 geospatial, um, help, help me understand the business model just a little bit. Sure. I mean, I can give you um, the, the two-minute elevator pitch on it um, and don't hold me to all of it. But NV5 started in um, Hollywood, Florida, and uh, about 10 years ago, they wanted to become one of the big tier one, two, three engineering firms. Okay. And so what they did is that they acquired individual engineering design firms in each state to have a national footprint. Mm. And in... Um, Starting about five years ago, they were looking for things to complement the engineering design space. And so they acquired uh, one or two smaller geospatial firms. Um, uh, they drone, they like a, uh, acquired a drone company in mm-hmm. Southern California. And then they acquired um, one or two smaller uh, um, um, uh, firms on the West Coast. And in March, January 2020, um, they acquired our firm, which is Legacy Quantum Spatial, which in, in it by itself is a merger of three companies um, to um, have a national footprint. And we were by ourselves 600 people. Wow. Um, 
So since then till now, we've acquired um, two or three other geospatial firms, Axum Geospatial, the L3 Harris Geospatial Division uh, called Viz. Oh, yeah. um, and I think that there's one, uh, oh, uh, Geodynamics, which is a marine solutions uh, here on the East Coast. Um, and so in the last five years, there's now a thousand geospatial people within our company. Wow. And so the remaining uh, 2,500 to 3,000 are engineers in individual offices. And not all of them work. Some of them deal with building technologies. Some of them deal with IT type solutions. So it's it's pretty fascinating that you work for uh, a bigger company that you can not only talk with their partners uh, or their architectural firms that they work with. So I could spend all day just talking with people that I have no idea what they do and trying to learn and trying to see if there's some solutions that we could work with. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So there's a lot of collaborating that happens in a, in a, in a model like that, for sure. Is that you the absolutely can. I mean, my territory is actually the uh, ge uh, geographically the smallest, but it's the mm -hmm. most states um, that I work with. Mm -hmm. But um, I work with a lot of engineering firms and architectural firms. And so I might not have the relationship, but the, our parent company might have that relationship. Is that the size? What's the what's the how many people total with MB5? I, I, um, I believe the number is closer to it's between 3000 and 4000. And you I, just said over 1000 are in the geospatial. geospatial like, that's a that's a pretty yeah, big I think on the data side. We're probably I don't want to say we're the largest, but I will say that we are probably one of the largest geospatial data services firms um, in the country. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty substantial. Um, so what's talk about the company culture a little bit. What does that look like? So they tried to uh, when when we were acquired in January of 2020 and then, uh, you know, eight weeks later, everything shut down. Mm. Our parent company gave us a lot of free range of doing whatever we want. And so we're slowly getting into the mix of being incorporated and, and, and all that. But um, and when you're an engineering firm, there aren't that many just straight salespeople. Most of them are business development people that they have one client or five clients in one geographic area, and then they, they're seller doers type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, when they acquired the geospatial side of it, um, where my job is to bring in business and cultivate clients and um, bring, in, bring in work. Um, so there's a learning process on both ends. One is understanding the engineering company's uh, 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 process and how they get things done and how to cross sell and all that stuff. But on the other side is how they will work with a sales team to get not only estimates, but quotes, but also projects and, and, and work towards that. So it's always a, a, a fun little process to work on. What do you love about business development? Uh, I like talking to people. Um, I, I tend to not necessarily be the smartest person in the room, but I like talking with everybody and I tend to, I know, uh, I know enough to be dangerous. Uh, it's tend to be, uh, what I, uh, <laughs> I can get through when, um, everybody has always something interesting going on, um, uh, a project that's going on or a new project that we're trying to pursue, um, so I work with some of the smaller projects to big projects. I, I work with small little landfills or solar farms all the way to large statewide projects. And so um, it's very interesting getting very people's very different perspectives on things. Cool. What's the, uh, your, your primary client? I mean, who's the 
primary target? Is that typically engineering firms or are you kind of branching out to direct, you know, is that always through an engineer or are you? Or no, are you... it's, it's not. It's, um, uh, it can be through a state directly. It could be through a local municipality directly. It could be through an architectural engineering firm directly. And it also can be in a public partner, uh, a federal state partnership where a client could be the federal government with the partnership as we might be talking about with USGS. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, sure. So it can, it can really vary. Uh, we can also be a subcontractor. Um, so I, I think my role is very different than almost any other salesperson within the company is that our legacy office in Northern Virginia is based in Dulles, um, right where the airport is, has been around since the 1940s. And so when I first got hired about seven years ago, six and a half years ago, I asked for like a database of it and they gave me 30,000 customers. <laughs> <laughs> Most of which didn't even exist anymore. No, they had all got acquired or retired. Right. Away. But, you know, our office, our office does about 500 or so estimates, contracts, proposals a year. Wow. Crazy. And partnering with, uh, you know, someone like USGS, I mean, that's, you know, that's as, as high level as it gets for the most part. Yeah. They have one of the most, I don't know, a better one partnerships at the federal to state partnerships mm. than any other contracting that you can think of for geospatial data. And, uh, you know, the, the 3D elevation program um, is become very successful. It's in its eighth year of, of, of collecting data and having the state come up with money and the federal government will fund the rest or bringing in other agencies. There's a wonderful partnership uh, that is going on there. Um, and it's become very successful. They're almost been able to capture a QL2 minimum spec for the entire nation. They're almost done with it, which is pretty impressive in eight years. That's crazy. That's crazy. Can you go into a little bit? You mentioned that 3D elevation program. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is and like maybe, sure. maybe I'm, what I'm going to be able to talk about it, it? At, the, at the highest of high levels. <laughs> I don't want to be able to pretend that I'm the the, the, the expert, but well, hey, I know, have to tell you um, this, Drew. It is an elevation program, so you're going to have to talk <laughs> at the high level. <laughs> Oh, good. Good fun. I like it. Um, it so it's um, it's it, it's more or less exactly what I, I kind of alluded to previously is that um, the it took a hundred years to get the from a, a, a DOQQ quarter quad uh, mm. to get all that for the entire nation, and as um, information and requests becomes more detailed. Um, the federal government realized that they needed a more accurate elevation data set for the entire nation. And funding is always difficult at the federal level. So they came up with a program uh, for states to pony up um, anywhere from 50 to 75% of, uh, of the project. And they will fund the rest um, for that. And they will manage it. And so the state don't always have to have the skilled resources or project management or contracting mechanisms, the federal government manages all of it. So USGS has map liaisons who are fantastic um, um, that support the states um, throughout the nation. 
I am so excited to talk about Carlson Software. Founded in 1983, Carlson Software specializes in CAD design software, field data collection, and machine control products for the land surveying, civil engineering, construction, and mining industries worldwide, providing one-source technology solutions from data collection to design to construction. Oh, yeah. Carlson Software's renowned dedication to customer service is unique in the industry. Their software suite is designed to complement land surveying operations and provides a variety of survey features to process data from surface modeling to least squares network adjustment. Users work seamlessly between the office and the field by utilizing company-wide design styles for ease of use and efficiency. And I can say, I have personally been using Carlson since 1991. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 1991? Yes. How is that possible? Oh, my God. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, that's for sure. But back in 1991, when I was introduced to Carlson, it was very apparent to me that their software products simply think like a surveyor. It's so easy to use. Their customer service is second to none. And uh, I actually went to Maysville, Kentucky for some training and played golf with Bruce and, uh, and his brother. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Nicest human beings on the planet. Um, highly recommend Carlson. To find out more, simply go to carlsonsw.com. Be sure to let them know the Geoholic sent you. Now, I know you've worked, and we're going to get into this a little bit deeper, you've worked on some really cool LiDAR projects. And uh, I'm sure we have a number of people listening that, you know, have heard the term LiDAR a, a lot and probably don't really understand what LiDAR is. Is that something you can expand on just a little bit? Yeah, I, I, so I, I, I can talk about it in terms of at the general area, so sure. it gets almost everybody to understand it. Yep. And then if you get to the more specifics, I'll give you some links. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. So basically, at the at the high level, it stands for uh, light range and detecting. Think of it as a GPS point times a billion. Mm. So um, it gives a very accurate representation of the Earth's surface, and it's captured. It's been a technology that's been around probably fifty years. The federal government, uh, the military, had it. And then after 25 years, it becomes publicly available and commercialized. And so mm -hmm. within the last 20 or 25 years, it's become very much commercialized and available. And it can be anywhere. It can be on your iPhone, right? There's a yeah. LiDAR sensor that you can't see right, right there. Um, so it's, the technology has improved. But basically, it gives um, on your desk, I see it's about, you know, two square meters um, if you're dealing quality levels based on USGS specifications, mm -hmm. um, if a QL one, a quality level one, it's a uh, it's a, a, a an average point spacing of eight points per square meter or PPSM. Mm. So on your table, you would get 16 points of data on your table, and so it would be able to pick up your microphones or your computer screen or your or your desk. So it picks up some details that you wouldn't normally see if you did it from a photogrammetric approach mm -hmm. of just generating mass points or or contours that would skip everything in between that one foot distance. So is is QL one the highest level of density, or how do, how do, what does QL two yeah, look like? The quality levels are based on um, accuracy goals okay. that uh, USGS has implemented, and 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 USGS has some wonderful more uh, information to define it more, giving some specifics pertaining to it. But um, it tends to correlate to um, 
uh, basic, uh, uh, there's a QL3, QL2, QL1, and QL0. And the lower the number, the higher the accuracy and tends to be the more, the, the higher point density as well. Gotcha. And then if you want to meet those quality level specifications, you need to, of course, have vertical and horizontal uh, uh, guarantees through ground control. And so we go out and call uh, NVA and VVA type points um, and calibrated points. So um, uh, I don't know the count per square kilometer per square mile, depending on the, the project that you're doing, but that just gives a guarantee of what it can be met and achieved. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I know there's something you're excited to talk about. And NV5 has recently completed a LIDAR um, project across Am I, am I reading this correctly? 5,125 square miles of Eastern Massachusetts. I thought that was all of yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of Massachusetts is roughly is, is about 10,000 square miles. Oh, wow. It's half of it. Jeez, of that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. You think, yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, you're in Arizona. It's a little bit bigger of a state, but um, uh, Massachusetts has some very interesting terrain in that they have you know, water with the Cape, they have some plains mm. in the central part of the Commonwealth, sure. and then they have the mountains in the Berkshires. So um, it's a very interesting project. About 10 years ago, uh, or eight years ago, we did the western portion of Massachusetts through the um, 3D, 3D elevation program with the USGS. It was one of the first projects, and it was a QL2 product which is two point, on average two points per square meter. Mm. And so um, this project uh, over several years was a QL1 um, project for the 5,000 and change square mile project uh, for those areas. So how many points is that? You said Q, Q1 was, uh, oh, what did you say, million. 16 points per square meter? Eight, eight, oh, for this project, it was eight points per square eight meter. So if you do... Uh, who know who knows the numbers come on you the surveyors how many square how many square meters in a square mile, square mile? oh good lord don't put me on the spot i don't come have a calculator on, come on, kent no i don't you're supposed to know these things i have i have no tools in front of me to be able to figure this out right now just because Other, of how late it is i'm going to ask someone who's smarter than all of us hey siri there how it many is square meters <laughs> in a square mile Go to chat GPT. Square meters in a square mile. Um, man, two, 2.6 2. million. 2.6 million. Oh my God. Times 5,000. <laughs> well, times eight. Times 5,125. Times, yeah. And then, then eight points per, per square meter. How, like, how did you even manage the, the size of that file? Uh, very, very, very strong people. They wow. just carry it around. No, it's um, it, it's it's all broken up into blocks. So just based on you know traditional photogrammetry or imagery projects, you need AT blocks um, or aerial tri triangulation blocks. You need calibration calibration uh, more or less blocks um, to calibrate the data that's broken up that way. That's a hundred and six trillion. <laughs> Unbelievable! Yeah, that is give or take, give or take, give or take a couple trill, just depending, depending on where you round. So that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, how, like, how did that come together? Like, how do you even plan for a project like that? Uh, so we there's 
the technology has improved tremendously in that, you know, we can go into tremendous details on all of these things, but having a certain type of airplane, a certain type of sensor. So if the sensor, we try to use the latest and greatest sensors that are out there. Um, uh, we, we use a lot of regal uh, sensors sure. um, for, for these large area collections. Um, we have 50 or 60 different types of sensors, but for these types of projects, um, we use those. And so you can fly a little bit higher. So there's less flight lines. And so there's less, um, there could be always less noise um, uh, as well. So it's really in managing how the project is captured. And then once you manage how it's captured, you can maintain it and, and break it down into smaller pieces. How, how high is a flight to get a QL1 quality? Oh, man. I know I was talking with surveyors and I <laughs> all my specs. Um, I believe it's, 1200 meters um yeah about 4500 feet um agl interesting so when you're doing this is do you have to follow or abide by like the asprs accuracy guidelines you could do asprs it depends on the client um or or uh, uh asprs or uh, uh nmas or or what have you Hang on just a second real quick. We had, we had somebody come by the door. We've never had a visitor before. Oh, well, I've been talking about some good stuff. I mean. Oh, yeah. Pardon the interruption. Uh, Kent has to sign a plat and, uh, you know, do do a little bit of his day job. <laughs> Well, while while we're doing that, I always find it funny is how you were mentioning a couple of names earlier, and that you know Elaine. Oh sure, Ball, yeah. And uh, I know Elaine as well. I, I went a couple of years in a row to the uh, Topodot um, conference. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Lando, and so her career kind of blossomed from that with her relationship with um, with Topodot. No, uh, that's re that's really interesting. The, the, and you said the same thing. You guys use a lot of Regal scanners. And when we were at Geo Week in Denver, we we talked to a, a lot of folks from Regal, and uh, it's just interesting how like all those those worlds kind of connect. Yeah. What what what? Yeah. Ted Knack was what he kind of put together Regal USA, right? Um, so in Orlando. Um, yeah. It's it's you know you, you you're in the industry long enough. You kind of. Someone knows someone. It's not. It's no longer six degrees or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's you know oh, one and a half. Oh yeah, it's it's two degrees of geoholics when we go to a survey conference. It's yeah. <laughs> oh, you were on and here, and then he knows him, and and everyone seems to know each other when we're when we're bouncing around there. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah, it's very funny. I get to go to a lot of the geospatial conferences and um. Uh, Geo Week. I didn't get to go to it, but I think you met about fifty of my colleagues that were there. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, we saw quite a few. But now that yeah. I understand how big the the geospatial department is there, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. You're going to have a big presence. I mean, you got yeah, you got one of the biggest the, groups around. Made their, I think everybody made their request all at once, and they just got approved. I think <laughs> oh, really? there would be less, <laughs> but uh, it's still. It's still quite a, uh, it was, that's a big one because, you know, you also get to talk about LIDAR and that's yeah. one of our 
biggest portions of our business is the acquisition, processing, and delivery of LiDAR data. Uh, when you say biggest, what do you, how, how, how big of the, of the pie would you say that is of, of your group as, as acquisition of LiDAR data? Um, I don't even want to throw a number out there, but I think acquisition itself, so the acquisition, processing, and delivery of data, so that includes imagery, LiDAR, hyperspectral, thermal, both, all those types of sensors makes up about 80%, 85% oh, wow. of our business. That's amazing. That is amazing. So that was a first. What's that? I had to, I had to do work in the middle of a podcast. I'm shocked that I had to you, sign uh, a plat in the middle of the show. I, I just said, you know, you, you got expense anything that you do here. <laughs> you, yeah, yes. The That's entire awesome. show and, and all the that refreshments so associated with are now billable and expensable. You know what? I think it should be on Regal. Uh, I mean, we we what we are giving we just gave them a a, a few shutouts. That so. was a free plug. Don't get used to it. Moment. <laughs> right. All of our friends at Regal that are listening right now that are and I know Regal's considering being a friend of the program. Yeah, you should probably do it. Oh man, <laughs> they really should. No, we're big fans of Regal. For we sure. absolutely we are. No question. So this data, all the other ones. I mean, imagery we use Vexel. I mean, we use a lot of uh, sensors, yeah. and it's based on the project, the conditions. For sure. We do a lot of bathymetric LIDAR, um, which is a new thing that we're, which, you know, yeah. uh, we're talking about, but, you know, um, yeah, yeah, they're all good. Yeah, know, there's we, tons of great tools out there. It's just utilizing the right tool for the right application, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating how the software, you can look at it from a very minute point of view, but capturing it for a certain aspect of it or a dashboard or a viewer, you know, there's so many different complexities and nuances that clients are either used to or not aware of that they might want to be introduced to. Mm -hmm. So something I found interesting, all this, all this data that was collected, all this mapping that you guys did over across over 5,000 square miles, what, what was this used for? That's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. So, um, the story itself is really fascinating. So, um, the project was contracted in um, uh, late 2020, early 2021 uh, for the acquisition. Um, but it took about three years um, to get to that point. Um, so initially, um, USGS tries to complete entire states worth of data. And so uh, USGS and uh, Massachusetts kind of reached out to each other and spoke to each other saying, you need to complete the Eastern portion of, uh, of, of Massachusetts because you capture, capture the Western portion, start budgeting it. And so I was, uh, uh, since we're talking about conferences, I was speaking, uh, we were at NISGIC, which is the national uh, geospatial for uh, more or less for GIOs our uh, directors of geographic information for states to kind of get together and kind of talk about things. And so um, it kind of uh, came from that and that when the t we were trying to talk about getting QL2 funding, we were t I was talking with Massachusetts about what do they want to get out of it? Or what's the purpose of it? Who's the bigger funder of it? Mm -hmm. And DOTs are very big funders of getting a complete data set of a transportation network um, that um, they would need to have. 
Uh, hold, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Awesome. I paid the kids. I paid the kids five bucks to stay away, and it's not enough money. I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, what happened is that there was more discussions about the benefits of getting a higher point density data set, and when you talk about a higher point density, achieving a higher accuracy and 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 getting more information, more agencies within Massachusetts were interested in the benefit that Massachusetts has is that they have an office of geospatial information. Um, so that it's called Mass GIS. They had a wonderful director at the time called Neil McGaffey, um, who's been in the business for 25, 30 years. Um, and he uh, has retired last year, but th this was one of his projects that he was trying to, to get together and complete the, the data set. And so, going from a one-year project to a three-year project was to get more funding, but then also to work towards what one of the main purposes that I try to do is in our company is that we want people to use LIDAR data, not just use the bare earth them or one foot contours or two foot contours to actually use the point cloud. And so the only way you really get that is if you process and do additional derivatives from that LIDAR data so people can understand it. Mm -hmm. So what Massachusetts has uh, agreed to, and they did at the this large of a level uh, through funding and other mechanisms with other agencies was to um, get a larger elevation data set. So they did it tightly coordinated. So the Cape would have a larger footprint of elevation data. Um, then the, the next uh, would be to, um, uh, there's some automated processes in terms of further classifying the point cloud. And so we had an automated approach to doing structures and buildings, I'm sorry, structures and vegetation, okay. low, medium, and high vegetation for the entire area. And when you deal with it at the large area, it's very competitive at a per square mile price than you would do for a small community. Um, and then, um, it, USGS next evolution of using this elevation data is to have a national hydro data set or um, NHD or 3D, 3D HP, uh, three-dimensional hydrographic data set. Um, and that is going to be the next evolution of the 3D program where they take the LIDAR data and they are using it to be uh, uh, hydrologic data. So what the Commonwealth did is that's two separate projects, but what you can do is you can make it NHD or 3D HP ready and that they had culvert data. And so we they provided the culvert data. And then we also um, um, uh, hydro flattened the data. So you can actually see the, the stream run through a culvert. Oh, wow. And so you can do some directionality. And so it was a, a, a longer process, but um, it, it's a complete picture that is needed sure. um, that the Commonwealth really saw and, and saw some value in. So is it safe to say that at some point, it might not be in the not too distant future, that the entire country is going to have LIDAR, it's going to be mapped with LIDAR data? Uh, absolutely. I think it's going to be within the next year or two. QL1? No, QL2 at a minimum. And okay. QL1 is the next version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, eight years ago, QL2 was more expensive than it is today. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So one of the things well, I when thought, you said mapped, hang on a second. You said you said mapped, scanned. Yeah, but that means done. What about available? Yeah, like, good question. Well, yeah, so um, um, uh, Mass GIS, I think as of this week or next week, will have their data. They have a wonderful data uh, clearinghouse or repository. What I forgot the jargon that they use, but um, but USGS has all of their data available on their site. So if you want to get um, a county um, or a state or a tile, you can download it directly from USGS's um, site. Do you think um, they're, they're going to be the leader and where you said in the next one to two years, is that going to going to be the, the, the best resource for LIDAR data for the country? For the country scale, are you talking about a small, like a, a, from a city point of view, a city would have probably a more complete higher higher point density um uh, lidar data set some of them go do it by themselves um, um but when you can combine funding at the federal level um states will incorporate cities to 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 pony up so you can acquire a higher resolution uh point uh point cloud um mm -hmm. um for that geographic area of a city um, and that really, so I think the next evolution is going to be two spinoffs. One is you're going to move to a higher point density, lighter data set for the second generation, because things change. You have structures that change, um, and city. You know, one of the biggest funders of of geospatial data is from NextGen nine one one. So where you need three things: you need address points. You need uh, points and locations, and you need uh, imagery um, um, to, to route all of that and, and building footprints. So um, imagery and LIDAR at the, at the state level is the most economical way of producing it because now states are going to be responsible for next gen 911 routing. Mm. And having it complete um, is having it all captured at the same time so they can verify where things are. And now you brought up one, one, one thing, and I was just curious, and maybe this is the same thing, and I know they're very, very related, but you said uh, more points more, more points means more accuracy and more, more accuracy and more density of points. So in my mind, I picture more accuracy of the data you're getting, but also more things identified. 100 percent. So And which know, one drives versus the other is really my question. It, it depends on the, uh, the, the, the clients and the needs. So if you're talking about, uh, you know, for like Massachusetts, you had people that dealt with forestry. And so they wanted, you know, tree canopies. And then cities, they have their tree inventory type projects. So mm -hmm. they want to get a count of where their ornamental trees are and getting a count. And so you can classify LIDAR data to have a vegetation for low, medium, and high um, um vegetation and, and and so you can actually identify a tree um the higher the point density how how uh, how how big it is and if you incorporate other technologies like hyperspectral data you could identify the tree species and the health of it um that's insane so, by the way <laughs> that is crazy yeah that is crazy um <clears throat> so one of the things you mentioned um that was as a result of this project, the 5,000, you know, plus square miles. Um, it, it, the data uncovered a thousand primary addresses and over 10,000 structures previously unidentified by imagery alone. 
That's, yeah, so that's crazy. Yeah, it, it, when I when I heard that from Massachusetts directly, I was like, uh, "Are you missing? Is it was? Did you give me too many zeros?" Or do you say you're welcome? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> of course, I said that. But I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be realistic. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be trying to be the better person, right? Um, I um, so how they have you need um, structures um, um, for your address points, and so how the Commonwealth handled getting structures is. They had an automated uh, process to capture building footprints uh, or roof prints from uh, uh, some automated or manual capture, digitizing 2D uh, capture for the entire Commonwealth. And so we're also the imagery provider for the Commonwealth. We've been doing it every other year. So 2019, 2021, and we're doing it this year as well. And so they were fortunate that they had both imagery and LIDAR captured at the same within the same spring season. And so they had imagery and they updated their um, uh, structures layer. And we also classified the LIDAR data for structures and vegetation. Now, it might not be 100% because you have some trees that overlap structures and stuff like that, but you have a general idea of it. And so when you have eight points per square meter, it identified all of these additional structures that they didn't uh, 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 account for in their process. Wow. And so um, it just proves to show that the next round for the Western portion of Massachusetts, it just validates that because one thing happened in the pandemic is a lot of people moved out of the city, moved into rural areas. Mm -hmm. And so not every person, you know, builds by the book, so to speak. And that's mm -hmm. every state, right? Sure. Um, um, everybody tries to save a buck from Uncle Sam. Yep. Um, and so having that data just, um, just uncovered just a thousand primary addresses, which just is a huge number in and of itself of just 5,000 square miles. Crazy. Um, uh, you know, you'd be talking about larger geographic areas. Um, it could be substantially more. And so there, that proves sure. a case of having a higher point density to not only use as a QC to other ways of you're capturing data. It's a great tool for just that point of view. You know why this is really interesting to me? Um, I have a friend that, gosh, this goes back probably five years. He had this idea of doing something not as detailed as what you guys have done, but working with undeveloped or underdeveloped areas in Mexico where, like, there's really not a cadaster there. There's really no way of tracking residences. There's really no way of doing tax assessment, that type thing. So this is a, you know, big picture type thing, but he's like, I want to develop an app and I want to do enough mapping to where, you know, these areas, these communities can start to like put a map together, basically a GIS where they have, you know, approximate property lines for structures that exist and to develop a, uh, you know, a, a, a tax assessment for these properties. And what you're just, what, what you've discovered and what, and what you've uncovered goes along exactly with what he was talking about, just in a much more developed area. But the, the concept you know, is the you, same. You the, it, it's a great base data set base that data can set, achieve yep. a huge amount not only for structures, but also for um, hydro-related work, um, and also um, 
um, forestry related work mm. and transportation. Sure. So it kind of goes into lots of different agencies using the same data set. So, you know, it removes the idea of data redundancy where everybody's using the same data mm. for different purposes. Um, and there's, and there's plenty other, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is, and USGS has realized it is during that first go around is they're like, a bare earth them. Everybody wants their one or two foot contour. And sure. so everybody wants that because you want an accurate representation of the earth's surface and you can remove this, the surface features and just get the elevation data. Mm -hmm. And then you can also create the, the, the digital surface model if you need it as well. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of other data sets that uh, can be included and in, in that states should consider. And that's, you know, something that um, we're talking with, with other states to educate on. And I, and I appreciate the time that talking about all this is that the main purpose is that we want, and the states want, and USGS wants people to use these data sets. And the best way to do it is to further classify and create more derivatives to help with it. Um, yeah. that's the best way to, to explain that. Yeah. And it kind of, so it really sounds like the, you know this these data sets are going to replace the outdated what seven point five minute quad maps basically. Hundred percent. That's the that's really the gist of it, right? Yep. Interesting. I love the folks at Bad Elf. Bad Elf GNS receivers deliver affordable accuracy through easy to use hardware supported by continuously evolving firmware apps and cloud services. Founded in 2010, Bad Elf created the first made for iOS external GPS accessory and now enables high performance location services for all mobile platforms. Man, that's amazing. Did you also know that all of your new GNSS receivers can be accurate, affordable, and flexible? The Bad Elf Flex offers a trailblazing survey-grade receiver that delivers consistent accuracy at a highly affordable price. I'm going to stress affordable price. Yeah. You got to check it out. Many people think companies go into business to create products and services, but at Bad Elf, they strive to create loyal customers. To find out more, simply go to badelf.com and let them know that Geoholic sent you for the baddest discounts available. Uh, I got two, two questions. One... You were asked to map the eastern half of Massachusetts, and I'm assuming because the western half was already mapped, and I'm assuming that's because it was done a certain period of time ago. And then you just mentioned that when you go back to do the west half like you did the east half, so what's the timeline between, uh, you know, going back, and is it based on advancement of technology or more needs, or when do you think you're going to go? You just did this massive one in, one, one, uh, 106 trillion point deal when are you going to go back to the East half? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a, that's always a good question. I mean, um, you know, the conversation was uh, unlike the imagery side with the Commonwealth is that they justified a need to capture new imagery every two years. And, ah. um, it, it depends on the amount of growth and development and, um, client needs in that, um, some go on a five-year cycle, a two-year cycle, an eight-year cycle. The USGS has a requirement, not a requirement, they have a guideline that they try to follow is that um, if the data is eight years or older, they would like to have a refresh and would provide their match through the 3D elevation program. 
And so a lot of states follow that guidelines in that um, since the western portion is now just at seven or eight years now, that the, that the federal government would be open to doing a match. And so not every state can fully fund things. Mm. Um, and, and so it really depends on funds. Um, I think in the next week or two or three, the Commonwealth is going to introduce a new director of geospatial technology um, after the previous person retired, Neil. Um, and so that person will probably begin at a task of forming a committee to help with that discussion. So it's really a partnership that goes on between not only with the, the Commonwealth, but their agencies within and the conversations with um, USGS and also with the private sector. It's a it's a very unique and interesting relationship that goes on. Yeah, it sounds like it. And that leads right into my second question, which is, it sounds like you have to pull all these agencies together. Yeah. Or I, I mean, ideally, especially for a guy like you that obviously is in the business to fly more and map more and collect more data. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the challenges of essentially you have a whole bunch of agencies that all want to use the data. Who's going to pay for it? And who owns right. it? Who owns yeah, it? Who gets to, well, this, I mean, it I'm is, guessing the is. state does, but. So since it's any, more or less any federal program requires that the data become free and available to the public. Well, that's good. So this data is 100% publicly available. Right out of the gate? Right at, well, once the data is finally approved mm, and yep. gotcha. uh, available on USGS's website. And I'm sure. guessing as soon as a couple agencies get involved, the state chips in, the federal government comes in and backs it, it damn well should be free and available if you ask me. Yeah, and the one thing <laughs> I want to circle back on that I think is so crucial is the fact that all these different entities are using the same data set to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. It, it, really? That's huge. It's very huge. Yeah. And since this is federally funded, I'm just curious, and you don't have to answer this question, but since it's federally funded, does NV5 have to have like lobbyists working on Capitol Hill, that type thing, or is everything done through USGS? I mean, what what, what does that effort look like? That's, I'm, that's I'm like... not going to spill our secret sauce <laughs> to you, even though you guys are wonderful. Um, <laughs> but what I, I will say is that there's a contract vehicle that every geospatial firm that will collect QL type LIDAR data mm -hmm. needs to be approved vendor gotcha. through yep. USPS. And that's sure. called GPSC, GPSC. Um, I forgot what it stands for, but we're on the fourth version of it. It's called Gypsy 4. Yep. So if you are a an approved vendor, um, you then have the ability to, you can work directly with USGS. There's many different um, approaches. Um, you know, we're a nationwide organization, mm -hmm. so we don't just focus on one geographic area. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we have upwards of 10 or so geospatial offices around the country that can focus and support different roles. Sure. Um, so, um, it, it it really does depend on the state, the need, the funding, the match, yep. um, and and the type of derivative data that's needed. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So much to take into consideration when pursuing projects like that. It's just massive. Right. It's crazy. Um, 
so it sounds like, you know, we, I think it was right before we got cut off, you know, we were talking about the fact that at some point you said, I think in the next maybe one to two years, the entire country is going to have QL2 LIDAR data available. At a minimum. Really? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. In, um, including the, uh, the, the some of the parts in Arizona <laughs> and Utah that yeah. I don't 100%. I don't think even have uh, <laughs> you know, humans uh, may yeah. have looked at it once or wow that's crazy that is yeah. that's awesome. So how do you and maybe it's not part of your your, your job um, but like technology is advancing at such a rapid pace and the ability to collect you know, more, more densified data, more accurate data, that type of thing. I mean, how do you, how do you, how does NV5 keep up with all this? Um, so there's always uh, research development have being open to, you know, sometimes um, um, the, the, the federal government will direct you in terms of the, where it needs to be and, mm. and what it needs, or the client will direct you. Um a lot of it is driven on price and competitiveness and how you can process more data faster and more quickly. Sure. Um, um, a lot of the way the technology is going is that I'm sure you're seeing this in the survey world as we do as well. You know, we have some survey teams uh, spread throughout the country as well um, and our partner network um, in that clients want more of the same of, of, of things to get more data sets. So um, whether it's imagery and LIDAR captured at the same time, whether it's oblique imagery, mm. nadir imagery and yep. LIDAR captured at the same time, whether it's um, capturing it with um, another sensor type on, on the waveform, whether it's a uh, capture bathymetric LIDAR. And so what's happening is there's um a need in that they have funded and they have a certain price point from eight years ago or 10 years ago in that i think the initial mindset is how much more can they get for that price that they budgeted for um and i think so there's two different approaches that you can look at is there do you want a higher point density and that you can do more with the derivatives or do you want all different types of data sets for the pricing that you kind of are budgeting for? Do you want imagery and LIDAR captured at the same time? It's two different sensors, but you can, there's, or there's a sensor that can capture both at the same time. Mm -hmm. With imagery, you have to capture it during the day at a certain sun angle and you lose a lot because LIDAR can be captured 24 hours a day more. Or sure. less. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's all those types of discussions that going into it. So the, the next one year, five year, 10 years, I think um, are looking at a higher point density for the same price that they were affording. You know, a QL1 price per square mile is more or less the same price of what a QL2 was eight years ago. That's amazing. That's crazy. I know there's companies out there that are utilizing satellites to collect imagery, basically, like 24 hours a day, you know, these satellites are just orbiting yeah. and collecting. No, there's, there's some wonderful benefits, you know, Planet and and and, and Maxar and, and firms like that are, are, are wonderful need for large swaths of the globe or the entire globe. Um, um, our background is that we are engineering grade survey uh, services. And so 
engineering firms rely on that point on earth is where it really is. And that is within plus or minus or many inches or feet or whatever it is. Just be and careful so, your your audience here, Drew. You said engineering grade, and there's quite a bit that would argue about survey grade, but that's probably a a, a different discussion. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that up to being too late on the East Coast for me to correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> like that's it. funny. That's yeah. funny. So, um, so it, there are specifications that need to be followed, and so everybody, you know, our our biggest um biggest goal is that when the data is captured and delivered and updated when there's a doctorate trying to get a remote sensing degree and they're using mm. you know cape cod to do research on you know it, how the the data is they know that the metadata is what it is and that it's accurate and they can verify it and so the data needs to stand the test of time more or less um, even though it's fleeting because people want more current data. Mm. Um, so people want things more more quickly. You know, third-party engines like a Google Earth or a, a, an Apple Maps, you know, their data is great for the purpose of getting around. But will I build a house based <laughs> on the the accuracy of Google or no, because it's not engineer survey grade. Yeah. Um, data. Our data, because of the specifications, whether it's national map accuracy standards, ASPRS standards, um, or following the USGS guidelines for quality levels, it, there's an accuracy tied to it. Gotcha. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, so, Drew, you've done an amazing job representing NV5 Geospatial. We appreciate your time this evening. Um, you know, what are you, what are you most excited about moving forward? I mean, can you project five years out? I mean, what, what, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you going? I love the idea of newer, I'm sorry, not newer, but different technologies mashing up and merging together. Mm. You know, the idea of thermal, everybody thinks of, you know, when they play Call of Duty or they see these <laughs> movies and, the, and then they see the, 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 the enemy and, they're, they're bright red versus, um, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a war zone area. That same technology is now used for, you know, illicit discharge for, that the EPA might want to track for spills or heat loss in buildings or um, yep. incorporating oblique imagery so that um, it can be used for emergency response. Uh, as well as having it accurately available and everybody's using the same data set. I think that's, that's we're key. trying to, you know, everything's become more um, uh, interconnected in a way. Mm. And I think, um, you know, a, a, the big the big term and talk now are digital twins, right? Yep. And so um, everybody, you know, people in the gaming industry always knew what digital is like. You can go from an outside of the building, you see the skin, and then you go on the inside, you see the details of the building. Yep. You know, there's different versions of it. If you're talking with an architectural firm or an engineering firm, mm. or at a large scale at a at a world level, um, and so there's 3D models, then there's BIMs. And then if you merge that together, you can create your digital twin, but there's also how that data is incorporated into your base data set and viewed 
at the end client level. Mm. So there's a lot of intricate uh, uh, components that at a large scale that's publicly available that's more difficult than uh, an enclosed system like a Google or an Apple might have um, because everybody's viewing, viewing what they have. And uh, an, end, an end client like a state or a city or municipality might be very different from each other. And so there needs to be some standardization pertaining to that. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited pertaining all that. That being said, I have to be more knowledgeable about all of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I try not to be an expert in just remote sensing or sure. transportation or hydro <laughs> or, uh, you know, reality capture or, or what have you, but, to think about the all the data is is the same data set for all of those to topics and, and talking points. Yeah, it's almost like you're building the foundation of the data set that can be used by everybody to do everything that you just mentioned. Yeah, it's a very visual world, and that um, the data that we capture is 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 a hundred percent. It's an accurate representation of the the real world world we're living in yep. um and so it's just you know there's time there's money um and then there's specifications and yep. these are somewhat standardized and so um it's very fun and exciting i get to go to a lot of these conferences i'm going to be up in maine in a couple of weeks and then i'll be at the esri uc conference uh, so cool um yeah. yeah it's always fun to talk to people about what new technologies and softwares and 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 what customers are doing. Yeah, that's awesome. We may actually get to meet you at the, uh, yeah, we, the Esri user conference. Maybe yeah. there. Yep. We will, yeah. we will have, we were originally going to have three booths um, <laughs> because Axum um, and uh, um, L3 Harris Geospatial, the Viz team and uh, NB5 Geospatial were having, but now we're all one company. So we wow. have one big booth. <laughs> that's crazy. I know when maybe you guys talked about it when I was distracted signing a plat, but I remember the NV5 booth at GeoWeek. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like yeah, super massive presence. and yeah. impressive. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was super cool. Uh, Drew, I got two, two last questions before we wrap up here. Uh, we talk a lot about mentoring and this actually came up very coincidentally. I had a buddy of mine that uh, reached out and said, Hey, I have a family friend that uh, just got his, or is going to get his almost finished with his master's in, in uh, GIS. And uh, do you have, you know, wants me to meet with him and uh, what advice would you give a young GIS professional given your uh experience? Well, when you go, when you work at enough booths at enough conferences, you get enough <laughs> resumes and enough people. Um, I always say you want to have a compliment to an industry. Mm. And so um, I, I, I have people that are interested in want to be a drone pilot. I'm like, I, I would study surveying and then also be a drone pilot because you're already out in the field. Yeah. Right. So you want to find something to complement or to find something else and that, that. Bring, and that makes you more valuable to an organization because um i was i was a i was a analyst or a specialist and then i started training people because i could take complex things and dumb it down because you know i could try that's kind of a skill set that I've, I've tried to cultivate over the years and so from that the uh, the, 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 the president at the time, they're like, ah, you could talk too much, so you should be in sales. So yeah. it, it kind of works <laughs> out 
it, it kind of works out in a way in that you need to bring in something that can complement it. And it doesn't have to be another technology. If you have a marketing degree, yep. um, you can be another a Chuck or Elaine uh, or you guys, and that there's complements that are needed in this space. Um, I've always found the most interesting conversation I had in recent years was I met like the GIS manager for Visa. And uh, he's like, Visa. do you guys have any statisticians? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we need to track where the money is. And I'm like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Wow. So like, other than the federal government who has a huge amount of statisticians, the financial industry use geospatial people for statistics. Yep. Ah, I never even thought about that. I was uh, having lunch with a, a guy today and his, you know, daughter's at that age where she's trying to figure out what she wants to do. She's in high school and, and he's like, you know, I, I talked to her about doing GIS. I'm like anything in geospatial. I mean, geospatial is not going away. In fact, it is every other exploding. industry is trying to figure out how to yes. do exactly that. Yeah. Yep. But I, so so I, my, my, my boss told me many years ago, I think this stat is no longer accurate, but I, I love it. And still reminds me, it, it puts me in my place. He's like, in terms of like, the geospatial industry in itself mm. like how big do you think it is i think that it's tied now to like 40 percent of the world gdp wow. at some point but like Crazy. in terms of like what it was he's like where do you think we stand in terms of like our ranking of the industry itself yeah. and he says do you know what firm is the industry is bigger than us by like the next one up huh. and i said i have no idea he's like the b industry he's like honey He's like, our industry is not as big as the bees. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> hey, that's a complimenting skill set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We know somebody who is a beekeeper and a GIS it professional. Is a definitely complimenting yep. skill set, for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, uh, one last question here, Drew. Uh, do you have a mantra that you live by? Uh, I, I, try, I try to be a positive person. Uh there's so many negative things um, out there and that you kind of just try to try to have a smile on your face when you're talking. I, okay. I just try to live by that every day. Try to be, try to be a, a good, a good, decent human being. Add value, make friends is kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, Drew, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, I know it's late where you're at. Uh, before we let you get out of here, is there anything that we maybe did not touch on that you want to talk about real quick? Ah, uh, I wish that I could remember all of it. Uh, probably <laughs> not. I think you captured, uh, you know, you had a wide range of topics. I think it would be important to um, give some people some direction that MassGIS has a website uh, for that data. Uh, so people within the Commonwealth that could access it. Um, um, and if other people want contact information on how to uh, go about that, almost every state has a GIO or has someone that is involved. Um, mm -hmm. And um, we're just trying to educate um, uh, people on the type of data that's available that's being captured. And, and it's a good process and a good project. And if people were intrigued by this conversation and wanted to get a hold of you directly, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I, I try to be on social media, so I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, just look at my name. Like I said, I don't know, before we were recording, my last name is fairly unique um, and that uh, you do a search, you'll either find uh, my family or me. It's just uh, 
Um, so I'm pretty easy to awesome. find on LinkedIn um, um, or you, my email address, which is just my first name, dot last name at nv5.com. Perfect. Appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you again, Drew. It's been a fantastic conversation. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. We will talk about uh, your bourbon tour next after your skydiving. You're going to meet us in yeah, Kentucky, right? Exactly. If you want to, if you want to do one in Lexington, uh, we have a wonderful office. If you open the windows, you can smell the malts from there. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I may have Sounds to like heaven. skydive down into the Blanton's <laughs> Distillery. Is like the is like the uh, pipe dream for me. Oh, so, man. that's great. That's great. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again, man. We really yeah, appreciate thanks a lot. it. All right, have a good one. All right, adding value and making friends. That we Mission are. accomplished. If anyone would yeah. like to be a guest on a future show, shoot us an email at info at thegeaholics.com. AJR, all my favorite songs available everywhere. Until next time, have co- have complimenting skill sets. I love that. Yes. Be a positive person. Oh, love yeah. that. And most importantly, be safe and healthy, everyone. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a good one, guys. Bye.